Welcome one and all to Cafe Penumbra, your cyber cafe where we exchange ideas about current events, hot topics, storytelling, plus all the things. Just a quick reminder, if you're here, the podcast is only half the experience. So um, if you're not aware, there is a Discord server that's kind of our sister platform. And you can head over there to weigh in on topics, pose questions, even start a new episode. You can find a link to the Cafe Penumbra server in the show notes. Or if you head over to seraphimpenumbra.com, you'll find a link in the server there. Seraphim Penumbra in the studio today. Thanks very much, everyone, for joining me. Today we're talking about the anti-LGBTQ plus legislation that recently passed and has been in the news. And just a quick side note before I go in, I just want to say that in the process of researching, um, definitely came across a lot of, I mean, not a news sources, but um, social media posts where people were posting this this thing was vetoed in that state and or we won this. And, and not to undermine that there have been some small victories. But here's the thing. Please, if you're going to post something like that, please consider um, posting a link that connects to the information about it. Because my in my experience, I saw four different posts about a particular piece of legislation um, being overturned. And Two of them were fake news. So in this age of, of disinformation and fake news, just if you're going to post, please consider posting a link to, to you know cite the source. And if you're hearing some information that doesn't have a link, ask the person for a link. I don't think that's rude. Um, I try to post links with things where it's relevant. But yeah, that's just my little side, one of my tangents, one of few, I'm sure. So first... What is this all about? I have to admit, when I first started uh, researching this, I didn't know all the details. I knew, I knew what I had heard, but what somebody heard is no place to start a conversation that I want to be a part of, right? But I had heard that there was this ban on drag performance in public, and my my perception of that at that time, it's probably about six months ago, maybe maybe more, was that. It was focused on on drag story hour, and you know, not to make excuses, but I thought it didn't make sense to me. So there's complacency. Uh, I'll admit it. And I knew that there have been a lot of headlines about drag story hours. So first, I wanted to do a little research and find out what was real and and what was hype, maybe, because you can hear a lot of things from a lot of places. So I find it's best to find out what's the truth so you can accurately determine how furious and outraged you're supposed to be that day. I remember uh, the first time that I witnessed how the media can slant news. I was in New York City, and it was in the weeks that followed 9-11, and I didn't have a job, and I was running out of money. And I remember being on the phone with my mother, who lived in Massachusetts, just a couple hours away, and she said, what do you mean you can't get a job? George Bush is on the news saying everything is back to normal. But the reality was anything but normal. And I did go out and try to find work. I was waiting tables in those days um, in between gigs, and, um, and I would take my resume into restaurants and ask for work, and people were horrified. They'd look at me and say, are you aware there's been a national tragedy right here in in New York? 
And of course, I was all too aware the smoke was still drifting over our apartment in Brooklyn less than a mile away. But I still had to eat, and the landlady still expected to collect rent. So in that way, life went on, just, you know, not the way that they had depicted it on the news. Needless to say, I have been very careful about the news ever since. And especially in 2020, when COVID started, Everybody knew everything, and and there was all this panic-mongering, and I just had to be very careful about the source of information, but without staying in the bubble that I was in. So when I would scroll the headlines, I'd always look for, you know, where did this information come from? And generally, if something is from the Associated Press, this is my personal opinion, then it has been vetted. So I generally feel like, oh, I feel pretty good about that information. You know, I just want to make sure that I'm engaging in facts. Like I said, I want to figure out how panicked and uh, furious I'm supposed to be. And it's hard (laughs) when you see the disparity in the same thing being reported on different networks. That's part of it, to be honest with you. I don't watch the news at all. I read the news. (laughs) Anyway, in preparation, um, my exploration first brought me to hrc.org. I haven't always been perfectly aligned with HRC, but I do feel comfortable trusting their reporting. And of the new sources that I reviewed, they did consistently report the same information. I will reference the source of the information that I use so that you'll know where I heard it from. I did also look at the NewYorkTimes.com, NationalPublicRadio.org, and the American Civil Liberties Union.org websites to get my facts and information. At the Human Rights Campaign, Um, If you're unaware, they are the nation's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, uh, or LGBTQ plus civil rights organizations, condemns the Tennessee Senate for passing SB 1440, a bill that attempts to discriminate against LGBTQ plus Tennesseans by codifying sex as a person's immutable biological sex as determined by anatomy and genetics as existing at the time of birth and evidence of a person's biological sex throughout state code. This bill also makes LGBTQ plus people more susceptible to discrimination by defining sex in a way that prevents LGBTQ plus Tennesseans from being covered by state non-discrimination laws. It will have a disproportionate impact on transgender people. Governor Bill Lee signed a bill that will prevent transgender youth from accessing age-appropriate best-practice medical care. The governor also signed the country's first ban on some drag performances in one of our country's legendary music capitals, restricting artists' freedom of expression and ability to entertain and perform. Okay, that's illegal. Why does Tennessee not have to follow the Constitution? That's my first question. Since 2015, Tennessee has enacted 14 anti-LGBTQ plus laws more than any other state in the country. It has passed novel legislation like a business bathroom sign law and the drag ban and been a part of every trend in anti-LGBTQ plus legislation in recent years. Tennessee has banned transgender students from playing school sports three times, forbidden students from using the correct bathroom at school, allowed government contractors providing child welfare services to discriminate with taxpayer dollars, regulated the ability of transgender youth to access age-appropriate gender-affirming care, and several others. 
So far in 2023, HRC is tracking more than 410 anti-LGBTQ plus bills that have been introduced in state houses across the country. Approximately 180 of those bills would specifically restrict the rights of transgender people, the highest number of bills targeting transgender people in a single year to date. This year, HRC is tracking more than 100 bills that would prevent trans youth from being able to access age-appropriate, medically necessary, best practice health care. Four have already become law in Tennessee, Mississippi, South Dakota, and Utah. More bathroom ban bills filed than in any previous year, more than 80 curriculum censorship bills, and 35 anti-drag performance bills. And again, that's from hrc.org. To confirm, NPR.org says, The bill that passed in Tennessee restricts adult cabaret performances in public or in the presence of children and bans them from occurring within a thousand feet of schools, public parks, places of worship. Okay, a lot of what I'm hearing from those lifting their voices in concern is that the terms are just like super vague, and I can see that here already. I have questions. When I read adult cabaret performances in public or in the presence of children, I immediately think adult cabaret by definition excludes children anyway, but in public, what is defined as performance? People dance on floats at pride parades, uh, pride festivals. Does that count? Or if I take the bus to my gig and I'm already dressed, is that outside of the law? And then those story hours, that is not a cabaret show. It also begs the question, which drag entertainers are doing cabaret shows in public where you can't control the lighting or in a church or in a school? Is it me or does that part just seem like absolute nonsense? The more nefarious bit is denying healthcare to the trans and intersex children, which brings me to the next point from the NPR article. This was passed alongside separate legislation that bans transgender minors in Tennessee from receiving gender-affirming care like puberty blockers, hormones, and surgery. What? Why? As of a month ago, at least nine GOP-led state legislatures were pushing similar anti-drag bills. It's this subtle and sinister way to further criminalize just being trans, said Henry Seaton of the ACLU of Tennessee to NPR last month. This is sinister. And then from the New York Times, GOP lawmakers override Kentucky governor's veto on anti-trans law. The Kentucky measure bans access to gender transition care for young people, and West Virginia's governor signed a similar bill recently. Passage of bans also appears imminent in Idaho and Missouri. The law, which began as a fairly narrow bill but steadily grew into a much larger package of restrictions, specifically bans surgeries, puberty blockers, and hormone therapy for children under 18. It also forbids school districts from requiring or recommending that students be referred to by pronouns that do not conform to a student's biological sex as indicated on the student's original unedited birth certificate. The law also compels doctors to cease treating patients who are undergoing gender transition care, adding that if physicians deem that ceasing treatment is likely to harm the minor, they may set a time frame to systematically phase out treatment. 
In addition to the new rules governing transgender youth, the law also puts limits on what can be discussed in schools, requiring schools to give notice to parents about any program on the subject of sexuality, barring teaching on sexuality below the sixth grade level, and banning lessons at any grade level about gender identity or sexual orientation. The law is part of a wave of legislation filed in recent years by Republican state lawmakers to restrict and regulate the lives of transgender youth. At least 10 states have passed similar bans on transition care, including Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Tennessee, and Utah. No surprises on that list. The governor of West Virginia signed a bill into law that will also ban transition care for minors unless the child has been diagnosed as suffering from severe gender dysphoria by at least two health care providers and has parental consent. In two more states, Idaho and Missouri, the passage of bans appears imminent, according to Aaron Reed, a legislative analyst who is opposed to bills limiting access to transgender medical care. We are going to have to survey the damage after this legislative session concludes, Ms. Reed said. But I do think that most of these bills are going to be overturned in court, and I'm hopeful that the next wave of news in the summer brings some level of relief to trans Americans. I certainly wish I could share her optimism. But Arkansas was the first state to pass a ban on medical care for transgender minors, which sparked a court fight that has prevented the ban from taking effect. The Kentucky chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union has vowed to challenge the state's law in the courts, meaning that its implementation, too, will most likely be delayed. And once again, that was from the New York Times. Yikes. I have definitely been feeling uplifted by artists who have utilized their platforms to openly protest. And I think that one of the ones um, that I guess I'm feeling most proud of was Jinx Monsoon. Um and let me say, we're going to talk about Jinx Monsoon for just a moment. If you don't know who she is, definitely look her up. I first became aware of her from Drag Race. Um, I don't follow the show a whole lot, so I don't remember the season. But um, then after that, I, there was a YouTube series of a uh, vaudevillians cabaret kind of show that she was touring and then most recently, of course, and then most recently, of course, um, she had an extended run on Broadway as Mama Morton in Chicago. She did get accolades. I did read that the show did record numbers with her in it. And I also read that um, because she was in it, it enjoyed a much broader fan base because people went in record numbers to see it just because she was in it. Um, now, there have certainly been plenty of queens who have made a really solid platform for themselves, being on television in movies, recording albums and touring shows. But I feel like we missed a drag queen played a leading role on Broadway, the great bright way. Keep your shoes on, friends. There's broken glass all over the floor and I am not sweeping it up. And then I saw her everywhere. She was on Seth Meyers and ABC News. I saw Ben de la Creme on The Daily Show, again, so proud, just very well-spoken and well, uh, it's super articulate, just breaking it. Not that it's super complicated, but, you know, I think to have someone from and feel somewhat represented from the community on a very mainstream platform, just dispelling the nonsense of all of this was just so powerful. And I was like, wow, I wish I had that capacity. And I guess in some extent, um, I do here now. 
I also saw, I feel like Madonna, Lizzo, Melissa McCarthy, RuPaul, um, and then there was a um, a drag telethon. I think it was called Drag Isn't Dangerous. And I believe that they raised money for the ACLU, um, but don't quote me on that. I did not fact check that. But that was like pretty massive and pretty major. And so that was exciting to see. I think the the biggest thing that I, that I read in the news in several different areas were elementary age kids had organized walkouts in their schools and it worked. Like kids walked out of school in protest of all of this. And, and that kind of like resonated with me like in, in this extra special way because recently I was uh, on a panel discussing you know, what's happening and, and, you know, what's, what's concerning, I guess. And one of the, my co-panelists said, uh, brought that up and she was like, my money's on the young people, which is really powerful too. I, you know, we, we do definitely look to our elders and see, you know, the shoulders that we're standing on, but I think it's also time to look to the young people and have them, uh, step up and, and a lot of them are. So that's pretty amazing. I shared recently, this was just a, um, a funny thing that happened. Um, back in about 2002 or so, a bunch of us were all walking in one direction and this a small child, maybe seven or eight, is, is walking toward us with his parents connected at both hands. And as the two groups crossed paths in total silence, you could have heard a pin drop. And then a beat later, this tiny little voice leaps up, filling the silence. <sighs> Did you see the lady man? And at that moment, I just thought he was perfect. No hate, no judgment, just wonder. And I posted that story in response to so many others who are also struggling to know how to act and react to all this hate. And I think that's okay, but I didn't feel like that was enough. And please believe me, I'm not here on the mic because I think I have all the answers, but I I think that I have some questions and I do want my voice to be heard in my community. And I want this discussion to be in your car and in your home and in your head and at your dinner table until we can make a meaningful change. It seems like the focus of this legislation has been drag performance. And I remember thinking, why is drag performance being targeted? And I think to a degree that the distinction between the community is probably not clear to a lot of people. I know that when I was doing otherwise my last um, show, a lot of the writing was this very intimate conversation about my being intersex and being trans and, and what those words mean. Not because I felt like I owed anyone explanations, but I wanted to use storytelling to educate people And people would come up to me after the show and thank me because I had answered questions for them that they maybe were afraid to ask. I just, I just don't see why, why the, um, the healthcare and the drag are like in the same sentence. Like I understand the overlap in communities. I just don't understand how healthcare for children is related to drag performance. I mean, I I will say this, it's not unheard of for trans people to seek out refuge in the gay community because you do have this kind of like opportunity to try on gender, to try on drag as a formerly acceptable way, even in the gay community, to experiment with gender. 
but one doesn't define the other. Drag queens occasionally decide to transition, but it's not inherently part of drag. In fact, and I'm not the spokesperson by any means, but most drag queens enjoy taking the drag off, the shoes and the corsets, the tights, as much as they enjoy the magic of the transformation, right? I do forget sometimes that not everyone was exposed to daytime television in the 80s and 90s, but this material has already been covered. So let's not gloss over that. When I did my, my research to find out why drag performance was on the blog, I definitely knew that it didn't really have much to do with drag, but it was really this anti-trans current, right? Now, I have definitely been to plenty of drag shows that were inappropriate for children. However, those took place in bars and clubs that children would never have had access to. And I have never been to a drag story hour, But I have heard exactly no reports of drag queens doing inappropriate material at these events. Not to mention that drag has been ubiquitous in the mainstream culture since Milton Berle, probably longer, but like when when I was just like brainstorming, like what mainstream drag references like have we been exposed to? Milton Berle, Jack Lemmon, Dame Edna, Bugs Bunny, a cartoon, definitely was cross-dressing and... I don't remember all the details, but I remember seeing it. Um, Max Bear Jr. from uh, Beverly Hillbillies played, uh, I think, a a cousin, twin cousin. They were Southern. I don't know. Um, But in full drag, I'm going to say Coco Peru just because I think that she's so mainstream. I saw her in movies like in the 90s. And let's see, Robin Williams, of course, from Mrs. Doubtfire, John Leguizamo, Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes from did um, Tu Wong Fu, right? RuPaul. What about this is so threatening now all of a sudden, right? Like why there was no outrage. So my brain draws the conclusion that the drag bits are a smokescreen, right? When I was in New York working in clubs, I was broke, so I definitely wasn't taking taxis to my gigs. I took the subway, and I always thought, this is a free preview for all the people who weren't going out. And I never once felt unsafe. And in all the years I did that, the only time people were upset by me was when I wasn't wearing a wig, which was most of the time. But if I was wearing a $20 shake-and-go wig, people were feeling me, and they always thought that I was interesting. And I was just listening to, to Coco Peru on Delta, I think, in, um, on Very Delta podcast. And she talked about how the only time people heckled her, for the most part, was if she wasn't in a wig. Um, so it kind of made me think about that. But hear this. If you're that person, that is your problem. And I would recommend finding somebody to speak with about that. What I would not recommend if you're that person who is visibly shaken by seeing me in person, is paying me any mind whatsoever. Your problem is none of my business, and I would like to keep it that way. And on a more global level, and I I hear this echoed again and again, and to invoke the people's microphone, I will also echo that as an individual in this country, you get to decide what works for you. And if you have children, how you wish to raise them. But making those choices legislature for all is fascist. Making your choices legislation for all is fascist. Even if 
You're trying to stand on the grounds of your religious beliefs. Imposing them on everyone is fascist. So let's go back. I want to highlight something. When a child is suffering from gender dysphoria, for example, one of the options in some cases is a medication that can pause the development of puberty. Now, that isn't not a big deal, but, you know, imagine the changes that could take place in your body and you decide that you don't want them to happen. You can do that. And if you stop taking the medication, nature resumes and your body changes according to the path it will. But consider if the child stops taking the medication, the body resumes maturing based on the biological sex that is at odds with the child's well-being. I hope you're able to see how life-saving that could be for a young person who is struggling in a way that isn't permanent. Nobody's giving out surgeries to minors. And now in Tennessee, they can't even wear the clothes they want or be in control of their own pronouns. Why are we taking agency from minors like do, do do people are people able to see that that is what is happening so part of this legislature takes that treatment off the table for those kids speaking for myself having access to that option may have made one of my decades far more bearable and i regret that it wasn't available to me if i'm perfectly honest but this act just multiplied the suicide rate of adolescent trans children in the Bible Belt. And they're not stopping there. Read those numbers. Since 2015, Tennessee has enacted 14 anti-LGBTQ plus laws, 410 anti-LGBTQ plus bills. And the ACLU is tracking 449. Those numbers are insane. I remember I was gutted when Roe v. Wade was overturned because I knew we were up next. And I said it then, this has nothing to do with killing babies. This is my theory. They just used abortion to get us to willingly cede that much more of the government's control over what we can do with our own bodies. Here's what I want to know. Because so much of what I'm reading in relationship to the restrictions on appearing in view of children in the wrong clothes is kind of vague for me, right? As an innocent... As an intersex person, do I get a pass on this? Because part of my experience is that there are no right clothes. So for the most part, I make my own clothes. Am I going to have to submit DNA to prove that I am in fact wearing the correct clothes? What if somebody is androgynous? How will we know what clothes they're supposed to be wearing? Also see, did you notice I called someone they because we didn't know what they're pronouns were right and i do shows and i wear a lot of makeup does that make me a drag queen no i get mistaken for a drag queen all the time and it doesn't bother me but i'm not one but it doesn't matter because i'm also trans and that's also illegal all i can say is in 1969 my trans brothers and sisters took up bricks to fight back and i know i've personally stood on their shoulders have you as an intersex person, it's really hard to be gay because finding someone with the same gender as you is really hard. 
So fortunately, I don't identify as gay because it's not important to me. But if I did, I could get married and enjoy all those rights. But that's on the block. I got to change the gender marker on my driver's license to X. And I thought that that was a privilege. So I took advantage of it because I could. So what happens if I'm in Tennessee and it says X on my license? Am I going to be required to carry my papers? And if that made you think about the Holocaust, it should. When are they going to take away my gender marker? What happens when it's illegal for me to even exist in public places? So we've seen how in a very short time frame, how quickly our positions can change. How quickly The Handmaid's Tale is no longer dystopian and futuristic, but a reality. 1984 is banned across the country because it discusses a future in which the thought police govern our very thoughts. But that isn't futuristic and dystopian anymore. We're systematically watching as we cede more and more of our power to the government. Where is it going to stop? In your state? In your town? In your home? What can we do? Political actions? Definitely. Writing letters to our representatives? 100%. But what else? I'm listening. This is one of the things that you can certainly comment on in the Discord. I do want to say this. When I was uh, in, uh, in school in the 90s, just to clarify, um, there was, uh, I was friends who was part of the student socialist organization. Um, and the leader, the student leader of the, of that organization taught a policy of, um, voter abstinence. And I definitely took issue with that because he thought teaching his organization that they were abstaining was a political act would tell the people you know, that they were protesting. And I personally took issue with that because I disagree. I think all it definitely does is demonstrate apathy, uh, complacency. The voting system may be a disaster, but ceding that power is a grave error. I have this other friend who tells me that she doesn't vote because it's a sham. And that reminds me of this story from my youth at a Baptocostal church. That's a blend of Pentecostalism and Baptist. One evening, we happened to go to an ecumenical service at um, another church that was hosting it. And on the way back, our pastor relayed an exchange he'd had with our host. I don't remember the denomination of the person who said it, but um, he asked them, how do you deal with the guilt of knowing the key to sinner's salvation, yet not preaching it to your congregants? To which she replied, well, I've said the sinner's prayer just in case. And just in case you aren't aware, and I'm not preaching, this is literally just uh, an anecdotal or, or an illustration, if you will. But the sinner's prayer is a prayer that you say to formally acknowledge your faith to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, so that um, if you die, you get to live forever in the sky with the old white man. So the moral of the story is, even if you believe that voting doesn't matter, do it anyway, just in case you're wrong. I think a revolution in the way that we look at bullying is in treatment for the bully. 
So what about treatment programs for the people who are having problems with, with our community? Like, what if that was part of where we shift our focus to? What about making permanent changes to the way that we do things so that no person or group gets to take away the rights and liberties of any other person or group? Let me boil this down to the bones. Basically, denying health care to children who are now defenseless, you're subjugating children because you perceive them as a threat. Just think about that. We need some big bully therapy up in here. Because you are bullying children. That's all I have for today, everybody. Let's keep the conversation alive. And remember, it's only a conversation when ideas are exchanged. So please do head over to our Discord and weigh in, especially if you can post the contacts of representatives to direct a letter-writing campaign for your demographic. And for God's sake, get your bricks ready. Next time, we'll be talking about urban exploring, my bando obsession. Thanks for stopping by Cafe Penumbra. I'm your host, Seraphim Penumbra, wishing you a jolly new now. <laughs>